Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Sometimes it's important for a hunter to be stubborn as a mule, especially if you want to hunt mule deer. Hi everyone, Ron Spomer here at Ron Spomer Outdoors Podcast with a story about mule deer. (laughs) This one was titled One Tough Customer and by golly, it is. A uh, big mule deer buck is probably one of the most difficult big game animals to find in North America. It generally takes seven years for a mule deer buck to really reach his full potential and get those massive, wide, high, and handsome antlers with a lot of mass. So this is a story that I, uh, I don't know, I wrote it probably seven years ago. It, it appeared in American Hunter magazine, one I've been writing for for a long time. So let's just see what I had to say about mule deer. This is probably sort of a retrospective on my years of hunting mule deer. One Tough Customer by Ron Spomer. The goal is 30 inches or 190 inches or thicker than your wrist or just high, wide, and handsome. However you measure a big mule deer, the hunt for one is the real trophy, the real adventure. That collection of bones atop the head of a mature buck ghosting above the sage will suck the breath right out of you and kick your heart up into your Adam's apple. The 30 minutes into my hunt on the high lonesome ranch in Colorado, my heart was in my Adam's apple and I was reaching for my rifle. Not bad, but I think we can do better, my guide said from behind his binocular. Well, when your guide calmly tells you that while you're ogling one of the largest bucks you've seen in years, you know you're hunting in the right place. You're saying I shouldn't shoot this buck? I asked, just to make certain I'd heard correctly. The deer in question was what most hunters' idea of a calendar cover buck is. The pinup doll of mule deer. Dark, blocky body. Bull neck. A black forehead contrasting with nearly white muzzle and throat patch. Long namesake ears not nearly long enough to span the dark double-forked antlers rising above them. A gulp buck, the kind that makes you swallow before asking your young guide if he's crazy. Are you crazy? I asked Scott Beistall. Well, maybe, but I still advise you not to shoot this buck. We should find a bigger one. And we did. This is what comes of hunting Colorado, a state that consistently produces the biggest mule deer in the world. This is what comes of hunting a private ranch on which hunter numbers and harvest can be controlled to maximize buck age and hunter success. 
We try to take only bucks that are four years or older, Bystol told me during our four-day hunt in the valleys, canyons, badlands, and high country near the start of the famous Books Cliffs region stretching from Grand Junction, Colorado, west into Utah. The High Lonesome is a recreational ranch set in a deep mountain valley where badlands like buttes seem to leap from the valley floor to tower above rather narrow valleys in which small streams water a band of willows and other riparian trees. The rest of the valley shrivels under the desiccating summer sun except for fields of wheat and grass that the ranch irrigates. Otherwise, it's dry grass and sagebrush. Those give way to junipers on the slopes, which in turn yield to pines and eventually dug firs near the top of a high plateau, climbing to 8,000 feet. Runoff waters have carved a labyrinth of draws and canyons in which not just mule deer, but elk, black bears, coyotes, and cougars hide. The vertical terrain more than doubles the land area indicated on a flat map, and the scenery is classic Western drama, the kind of place where you want to make a movie. Cougars may be our biggest problem, Bystall acknowledged when I asked him about big buck survival in this rugged landscape. In winter, they key on the older bucks, which are usually weakened and often injured from the rut. We see a lot of big, promising four- and five-year-old bucks that just seem to disappear before the next season. Either they're moving to other areas or being eaten by cougars, or they're just too wary for us to find in season. But they do tend to stick to deep brush and timber until the heart of the rut, which is still three weeks away. But a few show up early, every year, and, well, that's what we're looking for. Well, our looking involved driving four-wheel drive trucks up valley and canyon walls through steep, looping dirt and gravel trails while stopping to glass side canyons and the main valley floor. Once on top, we hiked sage flats and side draws to search additional country, the kind of quiet aspen-shrouded refuges where deer find solitude. I've got a horizontal line in those aspens, I said one morning as we hiked and glassed a promising-looking side draw. In habitat that is mostly vertical trunks, the horizontal backs and bellies of deer stand out nicely. About three-fourths of the way to the top there, far side of that draw, right in line with that, that big dead fur. Oh, I got it, Bystall said. While he studied the animal, I moved left to get a fresh angle. Finding a clear view through all that timber wasn't easy, but I eventually uncovered an avenue that illuminated a chunk of antler too long to be long to a mule deer. Eh, looks like a raghorn elk, I said. We eased closer to confirm, then kept moving. Elk is another popular species on the ranch. Mixed herds of a dozen to nearly a hundred cows, calves, and raghorn bulls fed or ran across the high meadows. Their tracks and droppings littered the trails and marked the mud watering holes. Nice elk, but where are all the mule deer does and fawns? I asked after our first day at elevation. It looks like prime country. Oh, it is, but they've figured out the forage is better in the bottoms where we irrigate. Predator pressure might be less there, too, and there's less competition from those elk. So during that hunt, we saw dozens of mule deer on the valley fields, but no elk. Our bow hunters take good branch antler bulls every year, and we just finished several bugle hunts, Bystall said. They stay high this time of year where it's cooler and they can disappear into the heads of those drainages. They stick to deep timber in the main valleys about halfway up or higher. Winter is when they take full advantage of our irrigated fields. 
Older bucks must have been staying high or sticking to timber too. Bottom fields were dotted with females and young bucks well after sunrise. The bigger bucks were moving off by first light. Well, that didn't stop Bystall from checking the fields. I just want to make sure there aren't any really big bucks sneaking in here before we dedicate all our time to work in that hard high country, he explained the first morning, just before we spotted that first jaw-dropper buck. Two miles farther up the valley, we found more. There's a solid buck, Bystall said as he peered through a spotting scope above the highest valley field. See his head just above the sage on that far side? By those does, he asked. Yeah, he might be a four-year-old. Mm. The buck appeared to be carrying four-by-four four antlers that spread at least 26 inches and climbed about that high. His forks looked fairly deep. Spread was impressive, but time length often adds much more to the total score, and Bystall knows this. I know it, too, and we were both looking for it when that buck stared over its shoulder and began to move. Hey, look what's coming. We're a good half mile from the action, but at 10x and then cranked up to 30x, the evidence was pretty obvious. An even bigger buck is prompting that first buck to move on down the line. Wow, look at the attitude of this guy, I noted. He's definitely the aggressor, but their racks look about the same. Yeah, but check out the body on this one, Bystall said. It's bigger, chunkier. I think he's a year older. That's what gives him that attitude. Bigger, older, more confident. We watched as the new buck steadily escorted the other one off the field. They disappeared into an erosion cut and some deep sage, but eventually reappear a hundred yards further down the valley. He's still pushing. It's too early for the rut, but maybe this is a new buck just moved into the valley and they don't know each other. It is clear that two males are deeply involved in the ancient business of establishing a hierarchy and both carry larger antlers than the first big buck of the morning that had nearly tempted me into shooting. Bystall was proven correct, and it hadn't taken an hour to do it. This might be a good buck to take, he suggested, as the pair continued walking steadily, each stride taking them farther from us. But now I was beginning to appreciate the potential on this lonesome ranch. If we'd seen this many good-to-great bucks already, perhaps we'd find an even more spectacular specimen with additional searching. Uh, you think these two will hang around for a few days, I asked, hoping. Yeah, probably. No one else will be hunting here this week. Her other clients are in another basin. If no road hunters do something silly like trespass or try shooting from the road, yeah, these should be undisturbed for a few days. And they got plenty to eat here, good water and all those does. Well, we judged it worth the risk to leave these two bucks alone while we hunted more of the ranch. And I'm glad we did because I saw more of this spectacular country plus much of the habitat management that the ranch was practicing to improve the soils of vegetation and the wildlife. They had planted native grasses into formerly overgrazed sheep pastures, along with a mix of native forbs that are so important to browsing deer. We saw blue grouse, coyotes, bear tracks, plenty of deer and elk sign, and indications that big game was finding the high lonesome ranch suitable habitat. Its border fences met up with miles and miles of public BLM land so that the ranch surely contributed spillover that improved hunting on public land too. As winter progresses, these deer move through the ranch and down onto lower elevation ranches and public lands, Bystall explained. We keep a tight watch for poachers, but there's a lot of country here and not nearly enough conservation officers to watch all of it. 
Though we prowled the high country and glassed a lot of superb mule deer habitat, warm temperatures in the mid-October season did us no favors. The does were sticking to the rich bottomland fields, and the high country bucks apparently were sticking to deep cover. Each day we glassed the valley where we'd left the two largest bucks, but didn't see them again until day four. Hey, there he is, that smaller buck, I said. Now I wonder if his competition is back. We glassed anxiously. Tall, wide antlers emerged from a thicket of sage. I think I see him, Bystall said, directing me to the buck. Yep, that's him. If you want him, we'd better try right now, because he's done feeding and he's heading out. Sure enough, that bruiser was walking steadily off the irrigated feed fields toward the dry pasture and sagebrush below. If he gets into the cedars on that far slope, he could be gone in an instant. Grab your rifle. We ducked into the tall sage on our side and began dropping into the valley, angling in the same direction as that buck. We were behind him and out of his immediate line of sight. If we kept to the erosion channels and high sage, we would be able to cover ground quickly. And we did. Let me check, Bysel suggested after we'd splashed across the main creek and climbed the steep, far bank. He eased to full height, scanning ahead where we expected the buck to be. It wasn't. Don't panic, but get up here, he said. He's probably just behind some sage or something, or in a dip or somewhere, but well, we've got to get higher and be ready in case he pops up. Uh, let's cross that pasture fence as quietly as we can and head for that little ridge. That's when a doe and two fawns burst from the sage and bounced away wildly. Fortunately, they headed up valley toward the other females. We hurried to the fence and climbed over, scanned once more for the buck, and then pushed on toward the higher ground where I caught a glint of antler far in the distance. I think I've got him, I hissed, about 400 yards out and heading south, uphill. We watched through our binoculars. It was him all right. From this close distance, his antlers looked bigger and heavier than ever, but he did indeed appear to be heading for bedding cover amid cedars and pines where rising thermals would carry the scent of danger up to him. He'd have a commanding view of the valley, too, seeing anything moving. Can you shoot from here, Bystall asked, knowing that the 140-grain highly aerodynamic Burger VLD bullet in my custom Holland 6.5x280-Ackley rifle was more than capable of flying true at that range. I took one look at the sage, and I knew the answer. No way, brush is too tall. Either we get higher, or he does. Well, let's get closer, then, Bystall said. If we drop into this little side valley, he shouldn't be able to see us. I'll move when he puts his head down. Whistle if he looks up, and then you come. Well, that approach worked perfectly. I whistled softly to stop Bystall just once. The buck looked up, but he never looked back. Then I followed, and within seconds, we were out of sight. We walked brazenly but softly up the low ridge until we again spotted our quarry. He was easily inside 300 yards, but already into the canyon slope beside that first cedar. I looked for a clear path through the sage, found it, sat with my back against the sage to steady it, spread my bog pod tripod, lay the fiberglass stock into it, and chambered around. Range, I whispered. 187 yards. Peak trajectory, I noted. Should land about three inches high. I'll hold low behind his shoulder. Call my shot. I followed the buck for several seconds in the scope, controlling my excitement, knowing that a quartering breeze from our left, that he wasn't going to be suddenly spooky. Even if he turned and spotted us, it would take him a few seconds to figure us out, if he could even detect us sitting in full camo in the sage. 
I had the time to wait for a good broadside shot, and he soon offered it, turning to look back over his valley. Here goes, I said, and I tightened my forefinger pad against the one-and-a-half-pound trigger pull of that jewel trigger. Got him, Bystall said, just as the whump of a solid hit echoed back. The buck humped, took a step, and swayed. Better hit him again. Nah, I said, he's dead on his feet. Yeah, why take chances if he gets up into those cedars? So I put a second round behind the shoulder, and he tipped over into the sage. It was unnecessary. That first one had destroyed the heart and lungs. This was no world record buck, but he was a solid bruiser that missed the all-time BNC book by less than eight inches. More importantly, he was taken by fair chase in steep, dramatic country, long associated with the majestic, stunning mule deer, one of the hardest trophies to find in today's hunting fields. At 5,500 to 8,200 feet in elevation, the high lonesome ranch was certainly high, but with all those deer and elk, it was anything but lonesome. Yeah, that was a great hunt. I remember it well. Wasn't that many years ago on my scale, but it did show me once again how difficult it is to find a big mule deer. Like this, this is no Boone and Crockett by any stretch of the imagination, but it's really special to me because it came off of my high lonesome ranch. Dancing Springs Ranch is what we call this little property. And the first year we were here and able to hunt it, this guy came on, jumped across the fence from the neighbors and was trotting across our little upper pasture. And uh, I got the drop on him. And he's just a nice, tall, representative, big mule deer buck. And I haven't seen one bigger than that on the place since, uh, except for winter when we can't hunt. But during the hunting season, this was the biggest thus far. I'm just tickled that I took him. He's always going to remind me of that special first hunt on my own ranch. Not everybody gets to have a high lonesome ranch, though. So if you are interested in big mule deer, man, start doing your homework. Because as I noted in this story and at the start of this podcast, big mule deer buck are just hard to come by. Uh, they require a lot of big, lonesome country in which to uh, live undisturbed, pretty much, um, and escape those predators, you know. And back in the 50s and 60s, they were everywhere. But then back in those days, predator management had been going on for so many years during the pioneer era. People bringing in sheep, especially, and and cattle. They were taking out all the toothy predators, the big stuff, the, the bears and the cougars and the, and the wolves and with the predator pressure relieved, big mule deer buck just exploded. I mean, the whole population went crazy. And I think another big reason for the population explosion was the, the brush that grew up. When you uh, bring a bunch of cattle in, they eat grass. They're a grazer. But deer are browsers. They like the tips of vegetation off of brush and stuff. So there was a lot of brush out there before they started chaining it and spraying it and getting rid of brush to increase the grass for the cattle. And I did great for the cows and it does good for elk because they also graze quite a bit, but not mule deer. They need browse. So as the browse kind of went out and then the predators really started to come on strong again. Um, gosh, I can remember in Idaho 15 years ago or so, the biologists were studying mountain lions and discovering that they were literally saturated in all available habitats. Some were, they were so abundant in some places that they were literally losing weight 
They were finding cougar who were that were starving because they just didn't have enough to eat anymore. And then the wolves came back in and that put more pressure on the herds. And then the highway traffic, that is really hard on mule deer. In the winter, they're coming down into the valleys off of the big high hills and they have to cross highways in the valleys because that's where the highways are, especially the interstates. And as they try crossing those interstates and or feeding along the edge of them at night, because a lot of the valley fields have been dedicated to cattle production or crop production. So they really don't have that much there anymore for the deer, but the ditches, the sides of the roads where the extra water from the rainfall can irrigate the sides of those roads. And then they get clipped. So new growth comes up. There's usually some pretty good vegetation there for those mule deer to feed on. And then they're standing right on the edge of the highway and they're easily hit. So we lose a lot of them to traffic accidents. So yeah, life is just tough all over. And then there's the overall increase in the human population in the West, housing popping up everywhere. We're losing habitat left and right. And that's where the mule deer really suffers. So if you want a big mule deer, start doing your homework. You're going to have to go to a wilderness area or a private ranch. Like I got lucky enough to hunt on this hunt. Um, there, there are generally more and bigger deer because they manage the harvest. You know, you don't have every Joe Q public running through there trying to find a big one. When the competition gets fierce on a few areas, they can push the deer off and then they go into refuges where they are not pressured as much. And that's where a lot of those ranches have really big mule deer. So do your homework and find yourself a really remote wilderness area and put in the legwork to get there. And you might find a good old mule deer buck. Otherwise, look for a privately controlled lowland ranch where some of the big ones can hang out and are allowed to age. And your best, absolute best place to find really big trophy deer is in town. <laughs> as crazy as that sounds, these deer have discovered that if they stay in the city limits or right on the edges of suburbs, there are lots of shrubs and bushes to eat because people not only plant them, but they water them and fertilize them. And there's probably fewer predators hanging around in town, although the cougar are getting pretty darn uh, aggressive and bold and coming into people's yards and they get pictures of them on their cameras right out front the door. They're taking out some of those deer. There's been some crazy films taken of that happening, but that's why the big bucks are there. They just live long enough in those environments and have enough forage with those shrubs and stuff in the yards that they grow really old and really big. But of course, it's pretty hard to get a tag to hunt in a suburb. But, uh, you know, if mule deer go the way whitetail have in a lot of eastern places like Duluth, Minnesota, for instance, the population becomes so high and the people get so fed up with them eating everything and getting in the way and hitting them on the streets with their cars and whatnot that they agree to a season. Usually it's bow hunting only. Crawl up in a tree and shoot your arrow safely down into somebody's yard if you miss your deer. That might happen with mule deer someday. Pretty crazy, but boy, I hope we can come up with conservation solutions to keep our mule deer populations high because they are a spectacular deer and they really epitomize the West. So if you get a chance, go after one. I don't think you'll regret it. Hey, if you would like to see some of my video reviews of rifles, a lot of in-depth reviews of rifles and what makes them tick, we take them apart and we show how all those parts work and we do some shooting and show the groups that they're capable of shooting. You can see that on rsotv.com. Also, several hunting adventures and trips uh, are shown on videos on there and hand loading. I do my hand loading on there and show you how and some of the troubles that I bump into that you might want to avoid and some of the successes that we can all have making our, an, our own ammunition. That's always fun. So 
Check us out. You can go to ronspomeroutdoors.com, our website, and then right up on the header, you'll see RSO TV. Click it. It's a subscription service, $5 a month. I don't want to steer you wrong, send you there if you're not interested. But if you do, uh, we'd love to have you. And I think you'll see some pretty fun and informative videos on rsotv.com. Hey, this is Ron Spomer for Ron Spomer Outdoors Podcast. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Ron Spomer signing out with the usual Hunt Honest and Shoot Straight. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. (laughs) Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss life on the water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. (laughs) The destination for outdoor entertainment. You go out there and the fish are where you think they are. Any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.